cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and to a man by the name of Lot. And he mentioned in verse 6 that he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And then he goes on and says, The Lord knows how to deliver the, uh, the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, he makes reference, we're not going to go into the historical, I think most of you are familiar with the accounts of Sodom and Gomorrah, but we want to mention three of the characters. You know the account that Lot's wife ended up, when they left Sodom and Gomorrah by the the urging and pulling of the angels of the Lord, she looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She died as a result of her love for the city. Maybe it was the people. Maybe it was her own family that that didn't come with them, whatever it was. There is Lot who did not die He made it out of there by the grace of God. He is referred to as righteous lot or just lot, and in our minds that kind of conflicts. But he didn't die, he survived. And in essence, that's about it. In this whole account, there was Abraham who was interceding when he heard God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he pled with God, will you not save it if there's 50, if there's 40, if there's 30, all the way down to 10 righteous people. And he was pleading with him to spare Sodom and Gomorrah on behalf of Lot and his family. And in the midst of all this, living in the same world, not necessarily the same location, he was one that was thriving. But it says about Lot that he tormented or vexed his righteous soul every day, seeing and hearing the deeds of the wicked people that he was around. The word that is used there, the Greek word that is used there, means to wear out or to wear down. That Satan's plan is to cause us to mentally give up the fight for righteousness. And and honestly... our, Our souls are vexed. He'll throw so much immorality, so many distractions, that 
it is easy to become weighed down that we believe we, we just can't continue in the fight and win. And as a result, our, our souls are vexed. The sad part is when our souls get to the point where they are not vexed, where they're not tormented by this, where they're not troubled by this. I don't, I don't believe there's a week goes by that I don't in some area find some new thing that weighs down my soul. I mean, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, I read about this in-cell movement. And, uh, and you know, many of these things that you read about, it's, it's not even from Christian perspective, but sometimes there's Christians given a perspective. At least 32 deaths can be linked at least in some way to young men's frustration over their inability to convince women to have intimate relations with them. The guy that drove in Toronto, drove a van into a crowd of people, that was his motivation behind it. It, it, it is such a big thing now, it's called the incel, involuntarily celibate movement. It's a direct result of our Hugh Hefner, Hefnerian philosophy that, that has, was started years and years ago and has corrupted our whole society. You hear that stuff and it just, it's like, oh my goodness. I mean, um, I saw a headline and somebody shared this morning in Sunday school that there are people, this is not a joke, it's, it's not satire, that you should seek your baby's permission to change their diaper. Because it's showing respect to them. I mean, you, you think, how bizarre is this stuff? I mean, all of this weighs on your soul. I read recent surveys shows that 34% of singles and 48% of millennials have sex with people they haven't even dated. In contrast, the same survey discovered singles are quite picky about the kind of cell phones their dates use. They're more concerned about the cell phones their dates use than, than they're willing to go to bed with anybody that they've not. This, this is where we're at. And I could spend the rest of the night going on and saying about things that vex our soul. I mean, it does. It weighs down our souls. It, it vexes my soul that, that we're, we're in a generation that kids are growing up. Astronomical amount of kids growing up that do not know a father in their lives. It's devastating to our society. As I said, we could go on and on and on. And, and, Jesus warned about this. He says, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. And, and unless we purposely prepare ourselves, it will have an effect on us. The 
the filthy lifestyles of people, the language that you hear, the things that you see, all of that took a spiritual toll on Lot's life, and it does on our lives. I know many of you, you work in situations that it it's like it just weighs down your soul. And um, in, in understanding this, we need to understand we cannot avoid the evil of this world. The answer is not to to move to some monastery somewhere because, as Babe Ruth said, no matter where you go, there you are. So you're not going to get away from the evil, all right? Because the evil is within us. And we cannot avoid the evil in this world. And secondly, we should be troubled by the evil in this world. There is an extreme danger. And and I can remember growing up, my dad quoting this part of a poem. Sin is of such awful vice that first to be seen is to be hated, But when seen too often, we become familiar with its face. We first endure it and then embrace it. And it is easy. I mean, every one of us here today, our attitudes about various sins have changed over the years just because it's become accepting. And I'm not going to go there and prove if you doubt that and you say, I haven't compromised, see me after church, and we probably will find an area that you have. I would almost chase that rabbit, but I chose not to, okay? Number three, we are left here to be a solution to the evil. And we need to keep this in mind. We don't curse the darkness we we need to understand that we are God left us here to help resist the evil and when the rapture takes place the restrainer that's holding back the evil second Thessalonians tells us it will be removed so we are left here as a solution to the evil and number 4 we must be different to make a difference in this world We must be different to make a difference. So, how do we thrive in an evil world? And and our world today is no different than any other time in any other age. I mean, in the Roman days when many of these scriptures were written, they were a vile, vile, wretched society. And we can't even imagine um, like ours. So here we are. We're in it. And, and realize, Jesus said that we were chosen out of the world, but he didn't pray for us to be taken out of the world, but that we might be kept from the evil of the world. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul instructed the church not to keep company In the church with evil people. He said, don't allow evil people. But he said, but you are to keep company with evil people in the world. Why? We're salt. If the salt never comes in contact with them, it doesn't do anything. So he says, you really ought to, really strong separation here. 
But you need to have an influence on people in the world. And, and he's saying to us, I didn't choose to take you out of the world. I choose to use you in this world. So how do we thrive in an evil world as a believer? Number one, it is imperative that we saturate in the Word. I say this over and over again, and the longer I live, the more convinced I am of this. And, and I believe with all my heart that there is no way that our soul will, will thrive in this world unless we are saturating in Scripture. And Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Okay, that's the evil world, okay? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit down and make himself at home in in the way of the scornful. But... His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. And your soul will not thrive in this world unless you develop a great, great love for Scripture and God's Word, and you learn to to maintain in your life bringing your mind back to meditating on Scripture. And this comes because we love God. And because we love God, we love His Word. And you that love the Lord, Psalm 97.10, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Well, it's not just hating evil. It's first of all loving God, and it's imperative. Honestly, in, in my life, it's like you seek to meditate on God's Word, but that early morning time alone with God to me is like demagnetizing my soul. Uh, my soul is is like a magnet that that attaches to evil if I am not meditating in God's word. And it's it's like demagnetizing and cleansing and sending us out in the world again. And if honestly, I would not make it. There's no way that I would. And there's no way any of us can. It's like retuning. I'm not a string player, but they're always tuning those things because they go out of tune, okay? Um, we need to be drawn back. This world weighs heavy. There's, there's all kinds of stuff here. Not just moral stuff. There's all kinds of things that we want and things that we want to do and all these things, the cares and the pleasures and riches of this world, choke it out and saturating in the Word of God. Number two, you must be wise toward good and simple toward evil. Wise toward that which is good and simple toward evil. We, we don't need to know all the evil that's going on. We don't need to know the latest stuff that is, that is happening. We, we get enough just by walking through this life. 
but to go and seek after um, the evil or to expose ourselves to the world's philosophy, we need to be wise. We need to be, number one, saturating in the word toward that which is good and simple toward the evil. I mean, we don't need to know and read about what this sexual predator did to that kid. We don't need to read all the garbage that's on the Internet or emails or Facebook. Be simple. Do I need to know this? Is this going to help me in my walk with God? Do I need to know this evil about this person? No. See, there's just evil about other people that weighs down our soul. I mean, so you hear about a Christian that falls or a professed Christian. You know what? We don't need to know about it. We don't need to know all the details about it. We, if we get, we're knowing about it, we need to stop and pray for them. We don't need to know all the details. What's that going to do for our soul but weigh it down? And, and the reality is to be wise toward that which is good and simple toward the evil. Good is always the enemy of the best. And bad is always the enemy of the good. So I want the best. So I can only be, I can only have so much coming in. I'm going to be very picky about what I bring in. Do I really need to read this? And, and see, now more than ever, we have everything right one little click away from us. And, and of course, they know how to write things to suck you in and, and get you to read it. And we need to be wise toward that which is good, simple toward the evil. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. He got all the influence of Sodom. In fact, he became so at home at Sodom, he was, he was a, he became a leader in Sodom. He was one that sat at the gates. That was one of the leaders of Sodom. He was, um, he was one of them. And yet it vexed his righteous soul. Number three, to thrive in, in an evil world, confess and forsake evil. There will be evil that comes from our own heart, and there will be evil around us that we are, we will latch on to and follow after. And as we realize that, we need to confess it and forsake it. He that confesses his sin will not prosper, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. But whoso confesses and forsakes it shall have mercy. And when we come and the Spirit of God convicts us of our evil, our pride, our arrogance, our dishonesty, our whatever it is, we need to confess it and forsake it. More than the evil around us, we need to take care of the evil in us. And and it's imperative that we confess and forsake. Number four, maintain a foreigner's mindset. We looked at this in in First Peter when we studied that, but in First Peter chapter two and verse eleven, Peter said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners 
and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. I beg of you as foreigners, as pilgrims, as sojourners. Understand, it is too easy for us to get where this really becomes our home. To Lot's wife, her home was Sodom. That's where her heart was. And understand, this is not our final resting place. And it's too easy for us to fall in love with this world. To fall in love with the things of this life. And he says, no, 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 you are a foreigner. You, this is not your home. And, and in understanding the, the realities of being a foreigner, um, you, you understand if, if you've ever been in a foreign country, um, it's just not home. I mean, as, as much as Gary and Yuki, and Yuki is here and has family here, Yuki, it's right. You, you may love America, but it's just not home, right? Isn't that right? And the same way, Gary loves Japan, but it wasn't home, was it? That's how our hearts ought to be as believers. This isn't home. And and to keep that mindset and, and to realize that, C.S. Lewis said, Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. The fact is, we are living on foreign soil. And the more we serve the king, the more we should expect that we will be treated like foreigners. And and in understand that, but that statement that Lewis made, he will feel like, He's finding his place in it when really it is finding its place in us. And that's what happened to Lot's wife. That was her home. And she was called to leave her home, and she looked back and was commanded not to, and the rest is history. Uh, Number five, don't voluntarily expose yourself to evil. And we think, duh, that's stupid. Think about the things that you watch. Are you voluntarily exposing yourself to things that violate God's laws? It's so easy to, to excuse in a movie um, immorality and excuse things that God does not, not approve of. And when we do that, and, and we mentioned 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, as foreigners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Don't take yourself into things that are literally warring against your soul. Fleshly lust which war against the soul. So we're wearing out our soul. We're vexing our soul, wearing it out, and we're exposing ourselves to things that literally are, it, it's like a cancer. It's eating us away. It's destroying us. 
Number six, bring light to the darkness. Abraham brought, sought to bring light to the darkness. You, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He said, men don't light a candle and put it under a bushel basket, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to the whole house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We ought to say, God, how can I bring light to this dark world? Not curse the darkness, but light a light. How can I be an instrument to bring light to this family, to this individual, to this darkness? Do you understand? God would not have destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah if there were ten people that were alive, that were righteous. There was Lot, there was his wife, there were the two daughters that went with him. He had two other daughters... And their husbands, if, if just those, he had been a light to them and an influence to them, he would have only had to win two other people to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, that was it. But failed miserably. Now, God didn't promise that he would spare our city or our nation or anything. But the point is, we are left here to be light in darkness. And and to do that, we have to be very, very conscientious about it. We need to do all of the above and to be an instrument in saying, God's left me here for a purpose. Help me to be a light in this darkness. And then lastly, number seven, we must see the big picture. Our souls will be overrun. I mean, doesn't it kind of make you mad seeing the political intimidation that goes on? But if you don't see the big picture, God rules in the hearts of kings. You'd go nuts. All the corruption that's going on, That's okay. God rules over all. What's going to happen? I know what's going to happen. God's going to be glorified in the... We have to see the big picture or our soul will be overcome. That God is at work and He's putting the pieces together and someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord and He is at work, and He will be glorified. Praise God. That ought to invigorate our souls rather than wear out our souls. That ought to say, man, let's go. Let's let's fight the good fight of faith. Let's lay hold on eternal life. Let's be diligent in this. Let's carry the light to the darkness. The Lord is my light. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I mean, that should be the the heart cry of we as believers in a world that is lost and confused 
and has no hope, we should stand as beacons of light. And you might say, man, I I don't feel anything like that. Well, it first of all begins by saturating in the Word and confessing and forsaking evil and then the other points that we mentioned. But see, the thing is, in the midst of evil, God is the answer. The evil in our own heart, he gave us a new spirit, a new heart. And we can yield to the spirit. And in the evil in the world, greater, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Man, that's the big picture. That's what we rejoice in. And it may seem like, wow, I mean... All the things going on, the thing about ask the baby if you have permission to change a diaper. I mean, professing ourselves to be wise, we became fools. That's Romans 1. We are living in Romans 1. But rejoice, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not just survive and and make it through, but, Lord, that spiritually we would thrive. And, Lord, I pray that in our personal lives, the decisions that we need to make that your Spirit is leading us to, that we wouldn't put them off, that we would make those decisions tonight. And Lord, I pray as a result that we would be instruments that you use to bring light to darkness. Lord, thank you that light is always greater than darkness. And we thank you that you are greater than all, that you are the supreme authority, and that in the big picture, you make all things Work together for good to those that love you and are committed to your purpose. That you are working to mold us and shape us to the image of your Son. And that we can rejoice in that as we see the big picture. Lord, may our faith be strengthened tonight. May we be obedient to your Spirit's leading And may, as you tarry and we live this week, may we bring glory to you and light to darkness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.